Well, it is so good to be back with you after a four-week study break. I'm fired up. It's nothing like coming home to your home church. And uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to get some space in my life to think without deadlines, to write without deadlines. It's so important for me to do that. And I just want to say thank you to each one of our campus pastors, Matt Randall, Brent Fox, Aaron Beasley, and Michael Cast, who came in. He's not our campus pastor here, but somewhere else. Can we just give it up for our campus pastors, speakers? They did a fantastic job. Thank you, guys. It's so good to be able to get away and know that, that a good word is going to be preached when I'm gone and, uh, and spiritual growth will continue to happen uh, in my absence. It's a wonderful feeling. Um, so... It's a little bit different from a sabbatical in the sense that I, I actually do some work and get some clarity for the, for the rest of the year. And so I'm excited about the series that are coming up. Next week, we start a series called Transitions. I'm so pumped about this. Here's why. Because every single one of us are going through a transition of some sort. Or we know someone right close to us, next to us, in our lives that's going through a major transition or a small transition or medium-sized transition. And transitions are tough, aren't they? We had one, one of our kids this, this year start high school. That's a big transition. One's going to the eighth grade. One's going to be a junior in high school. And so there's, everybody's going, amen, for kids going back to school. Anybody? Anybody else? Exciting. Um, love the kids, but love when they go back to school as well. That's a major transition. Some of us are transitioning out of a relationship. Some of us are transitioning out of a job into a new job. Some of us are without a job. Some of us have lost loved ones. I mean, there's always transitions going on in our life, and people don't usually handle them well. And so we're going to do a three-week series starting next week talking about how do you handle transitions in your life well, uh, because most of life is made up of transitions, and if you don't handle them well, then you're not going to be handling life very well. And so I'm pumped about that. But today, what do we want to do is uh, jump into marriage. We want to talk about marriage today. And before we do that, I want to welcome all of our campuses. Give it up for, for Franklin, Banta, everybody over there, and our online campus. We welcome you. As well, and uh, everybody watching all across the world through our podcast, uh, through our online presence there, we welcome you. Literally people in Germany, uh, Australia, all over the globe watching us, we welcome you in Europe uh, and everyone watching in the UK. I mean, there's so many different places, but everybody who's watching, we welcome you. So I want to talk about marriage today because this weekend we've been focusing on marriage. Anybody come to the Marriage Rocks event Friday night, Saturday morning? Anybody? Okay, a lot of people. We've been focusing on marriage. We invited this great couple in, Danny and Kristen. They're like YouTube famous people. They make these awesome YouTube videos. And they, they're kind of funny. They're very funny, actually. Humorous. And, and, but they had great content. And they were a huge blessing to us Friday night and Saturday morning. We had some breakout sessions. And, and so I just want to kind of continue that conversation about marriage because it's been our focus this weekend. Marriage is a huge uh, issue. Uh, issue, it's not really an issue, it's a huge thing. I mean, it is an issue. <clears throat> it, it, it's, a, it's on my heart constantly because I'm trying uh, very, very hard to have a healthy marriage, one that brings life instead of death, uh, one that brings meaning, uh, one that's satisfying and fulfilling, and one that ha includes friendship and love and meaning and, and impact. And so I'm constantly working on our marriage, and, and I'm working with people whose marriages are struggling. Now, I don't get to do a ton of that. Uh, I'd rather go deep than wide when helping people, and so I, I spend time with people working through their marriage, and I see the ins and outs and the difficulties and the hurt and the pain, and sometimes what I do helps and the marriage is saved, and then sometimes it doesn't, and it ends in divorce. And so I've seen both sides, and I, and I know that it's very, very complex. In fact, our, our, our marriage uh, divorce rate today is still around 50%. 
um, which is incredible to me uh, that people would take the plunge into marriage knowing very well that there's a 50-50 chance that they're not going to make it. Um, but in fact, a lot of millennials today, younger, younger people are, are, are noticing that, hey, my parents got divorced, your parents got divorced, maybe we shouldn't get married, let's just live together. And so they're kind of opting for that option. Uh, the percentage of people who are getting married is actually going down because of that. And so, uh, you know, and that's not necessarily a good thing. The Bible definitely doesn't teach to do that. Um, it's like test driving the car before you buy the car. That's fine in an automotive, you know, dealership. That's not fine when it comes to marriage. That's not the way God designed it. Anyway, people are starting to really, you know, be concerned about the divorce rate and, and what, what all that includes. And so that's a burden on my heart. And, and, and I want to talk about it today because even those who stay married, the 50% of the people who are still married, a lot of, a lot of marriage er- experts say that they have just resorted to what's called uh, roommate uh, marriage, which basically says, yeah, we live together, but there's no passion, there's no intimacy, there's no friendship. And so, yeah, you're still married, but it's not a very good marriage. And that breaks my heart just as much as those who got the divorce because it's like, it's like just enduring this difficult relationships that you have to be in with somebody who lives in your house. And it's more like a business partnership where you're raising kids and you don't want to get a divorce because of your reputation or what people would think or the Bible says you shouldn't do it. So I want to talk about marriage today because I don't think it, 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 I don't think it has to be that way. And I want, to, I want to start out by saying this. If you're single today, don't tune me out because the statistics show that there's, there's a high you know, likelihood that you're going to get married. You can use the stuff that we're, we, that we're going to talk about today in your future marriage. And if you're divorced, there's a high, there, you know, it looks like the, the statistics show the same thing, that there's a high likelihood that you'll get remarried. And, it, and if your plans are not to get married and you want to stay single or you're single, going to be single for a while, this stuff that I'm going to share today is applicable to the relationships that you're in right now. Maybe you have a roommate, you have coworkers, you have teammates, whatever, parents, friends, cousins, all the, all the stuff that I talk about today you can use in your relationships. So this isn't necessarily only a marriage talk. So don't tune me out, but I mean, let me start with this question. Why is marriage so difficult? Why is it so difficult? hard sometimes and I think that the first thing that pops into my mind is that people are weird and they are they are weird they do weird stuff they get weirder over time you know you know anybody with somebody it's like you weren't like that five years ago you know people are weird they do weird stuff they got bad habits anybody have some bad habits quirks personality quirks people people got some stuff going on you know, it's difficult to bear with them and their, all their, their faults and difficulties and, and their selfishness. Man, nothing kills a marriage faster than selfishness. Do you agree? Oh, this has always got to be your way. No one yields to the other person. and There's not a lot of yielding. Okay, we'll do it your way. Selfishness going on. And a lot of times we bring stuff into our marriage from our past. A past marriage, past relationships. And we project all of that garbage, all the pain onto our new spouse. And they're like innocent, you know, or in a sense, <laughs> a little bit. And, and they didn't really cause all that pain, but you come in wounded, you know, and then they got to deal with your woundedness. That makes it difficult. And we do weird stuff to each other. We hurt each other. Like, like a marriage rocks event, you know, I, Friday night I volunteered my wife to get up in front of a thousand people. We were sitting in the front row and these, this Danny and Kristen were up here doing their comedy thing, playing a game, and, and it was about music. And I, th- I had this brilliant idea. I thought, my wife would love to play. And I did this, pick her. 
so she obviously was mortified. She got it. She, by the way, she loves, hates to be on stage here. It takes me like two months to get her up here. And so to get up here in a split moment like that was not a good decision for me. <laughs> on her way up, she punched me in the thigh. <laughs> so after being made fun of for what seemed to be 20 minutes, they didn't even know that we were the senior, like I was a senior pastor and this was my wife. They found out later a little, a little bit into the, into the deal. Uh, but that evening, Friday night, was a long evening for me. <laughs> and I could talk more about that, but I don't have time. So, so we just do stuff to each other. You know, we embarrass each other, we hurt each other, we do things, we hurt each other. It's just marriage is difficult. So what I want to do is talk about five, you know, what I would say essentials to building a healthy marriage. These are things that Jackie and I try to do. Um, and, and we don't have a perfect marriage, but we do have one that brings life. We do have a friendship. We do have a lot of love. And we, do, we are making an impact with our marriage. And it is fun. Not all the time, but it is a majority of the time it's very, very fun. And so let me, let me share these with you real quick. Number one, you want to build a successful marriage. You have to connect with your spouse emotionally. You, have, you must connect. So many people are like two ships passing in the sea today because of job, because of this, work and kids and busyness. They are not connecting. Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says this. I love this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. <laughs> Up to this point, everything was good. If you read Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2, everything God did on day 1, day 2, it was good. Day 3, it was good. Day 4, it was good. Day 5, it was good. Day 6, it was good. Oh, the man's by himself. It is not good, okay? There's no sin involved here, okay? Sin's like in Genesis chapter 3. God says, what we've done here, we've created the animals, zebras, goats, dogs. Dogs are awesome, aren't they? I mean, I have a little dog. His brain's about this big and he annoys me. The other day, the other day I had, he just has this thing. He's got this small dog disease or small dog syndrome. So if he sees a dog, he goes and attacks him regardless if the dog is twice his size. So in my front yard, I'm like, get off of each other. You know, they're like, Aah! you know, and my, if I would have let it go, my dog would have died, you know, because the dog was twice his size, but his brain's about this small, but I love him. I love him. And, and so Adam had his dog. Okay. Probably had like 10 dogs. I don't know. I'm making it up. And, and God says, even though Adam had his dog and the goats and the zebras and the lions, it was still, what, what was it? Not good. Not good. Not good for the man to be alone. Wait, he wasn't alone. He had the animals and he had somebody else. Uh, God. Yeah. You hear preachers often say, all you need is God. And in a sense, that's true. All you need is God. But God is the one saying, Adam, you have me and you have your dog and you have all the other animals and you are still, in a sense, lacking. You're alone. And what does that tell us? That tells us that God has made you and he's made me with this relationship need, this, this need to connect with another human being in a significant way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you a helper who is just right for you. Now, traditionally, like, from years and years and years ago, this word helper was, you know, interpreted like, you know, stay home and do the dishes and make babies and, you know, do the laundry and clean the house, okay? That's traditionally kind of like, that's not what the word means. In fact, this little Hebrew word helper, the only other person it's used for in the entire Bible is guess who? Guess who? Uh, God. Exodus chapter 18, verse 4, it says, God is my helper, and he has delivered me, rescued me. He is my salvation. 
So what does that mean for us, guys? It means that God has given us women to save our butts. That's right. (laughs) Now, that might be a little bit of a stretch, but what it doesn't mean is she's there to do your laundry and clean the dishes and do the house and do all this other stuff. Now, she may do that, and you may do that, and that may be an agreement amongst each other, but it's more or less God gives us this person to complete us, to meet those relational needs. It is not good that man should be alone. I love what Gary Chapman said, Five Love Languages Guy. Anybody read Five Love Languages? Great book. If you haven't read it yet, please pick it up and read it. He said this, the deepest emotional need we have is to feel loved by the significant people in our lives. What does that mean? It means our spouse. The significant people in life, the people in our inner circle, we have needs to feel loved by them. How do you do that? How do you connect? How do you feel valued and loved? You have to connect. You have to connect emotionally. Here are a couple ways Jackie and I do that. Super quick. Number one, we try to every single day have a conversation about our day. It's super simple. How was your day? That's it. Usually we go on the back porch. We did it last night. The kids clean up the dishes, load the dishwasher, which they're getting better at that. And we go outside and we have a conversation. How was your day? And that, uh, that eventually leads to how do you feel about the day? Not just what happened, but emotionally what's going through. Are you upset? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you discouraged? Are you excited? And we share what happened and how we feel about what happened. And what does that create? That creates emotional connection that's what we need that's what we were designed for another thing we do to connect and we do this on date night sometimes and uh, we go away on some weekend vacations sometimes and something we do once a year we go away for a whole week by ourselves we dream together we just talk about what's the next five years look like what what's the next 10 years look like when our kids are you know in college and what are we going to be doing where are we going to be going where are we going to be investing how are we going to you know give our lives away you know as, as as ministry you know leaders or whatever we dream together And what that does is that communicates to to each other, like, we're in this for the long haul. Like, we're going to be together for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 25 years. We are a team. Let's dream. Let's create the future together. I know some of you here and they're like, dude, I don't even know what's going on tomorrow. You want me to sit down with my my spouse and talk about the next five years? That's ridiculous. I know some of you are not used to doing that, but man, just try it. Next time you guys go on a date or you have some time together and it's just for you and together, just just ask, where, where do you see us in the next two years, three years, five years? What are we going to be doing? Am I going to be at this job? Are you going to be at that job? How are we going to be? Where are our kids going to be? Whatever, if you have kids. Dream together. Another thing we do to connect is we work on stuff together. We have a little hobby together that we work on. We talk about it. It gives us more overlap than just talking about our kids. And, 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 and so if we, we're like a team you know, in, in our hobbies. And so we work on stuff. And that helps us to connect emotionally. And then one more thing we do is we just have a lot of sex. (laughs) Just got real uncomfortable. (laughs) For me, because my kids are in the room, uh, they're uncomfortable. But I have to say this, because when I talk to people, it's amazing. When when I'm helping people with their marriage and I push in on the intimacy piece, they're like, I was like, when's the last time you guys were intimate? Well, we just kind of, we're not. You're not? When was the last time? I I don't know, like 12 months ago. 12 months ago? You know, I'm like, for me, it's like 12 hours ago. Like, no, I don't say that. I don't say that. I don't say that. I want to. I want to. (laughs) Notice my wife is not in the room either. You say, does the Bible teach have a lot of sex? Now this, before I show you what the Bible says about have a lot of sex, which it does, it's just exciting. This is not for the single folks, okay? This principle here, single people, not for you. You're celibate, God calls you to be celibate. No sex before marriage for you. But for those of us who are married, 
the husband should fulfill his, say it with me, marital duty, which we're like, dude, I got this. Like, I'm all about my marital duties. <laughs> like, I don't have an issue there, okay? The marital duty, he's not talking about finances here, like pay the bills and all that stuff. He's talking about have sex with your wife. And likewise, guys, you can send me a Starbucks gift card later for this, okay? <laughs> and likewise, the wife to her husband. You see that? The husband to the wife, the wife to the husband, your body, next verse, verse four, I don't have it up here, but the next verse says, your body does not belong to you, it belongs to your husband. Wives, it's not your body. You cannot withhold sex from your husband as a tool of manipulation. Husbands, you can, your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to your wife. So whatever her needs are, fulfill those needs. Amen? <laughs> okay. Why does the Bible say that to do that? Because intimacy is not just to create children, it's to connect emotionally, okay? It's not, even, it's not even really about pleasure. I mean, it is, thankfully, but it's also about connecting emotionally. So that, you have to do that if you want to build a healthy marriage. That's number one. Gosh, I feel like I could stop right there and close up. Amen. Good sermon. Yeah. Go home and have sex. If you're married. <laughs> What's number two? What's number two? Hold up, hold up, it's in my head. Oh yeah, be humble, be humble. So number one, you gotta connect. Number two, be humble, be humble. I love humility, I love, I don't love humility. I love what the Bible says about humility. It's such an important ingredient for a healthy marriage. In, in, in Colossians chapter three, verse 12, this isn't a marriage verse, this is a relationship verse, this is a person-to-person verse. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, watch this, you're gonna list five character traits. Clothe yourselves, put on these character traits, compassion, kindness, there it is, humility, gentleness, and patience. Why did I pick humility when there's five up there? Here's why. Humility is that one character trait that says, it's not about me. See, the marriages that I see fall apart, fall apart because of selfishness. A lack of thinking of the other person. Humility is this character trait that says, it's not about me, it's about you, what can I do? For you. And you get two people doing that for each other, and you get some sweet dance going, some goodness going between one person and the other. C.S. Lewis said this, he said this, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, like, ah, oh, I'm a terrible person, I'm a horrible person, I, I have no skills. That's self-deprecation. That's not humility. Don't get confused. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And there's a big difference. It's being an others-minded person. It's not about me. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 2. Again, not a marriage verse, a relationship verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in, say with me, humility, and here's the definition of humility, value others above yourself. Whoa, you imagine if a husband did that for a wife? I'm gonna value you, your needs, your preferences above mine. How, how would that play out in a marriage? And then the wife says, no, 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 here's what, you got it all wrong, so honey, I'm actually gonna value your needs above mine. Whoa! You get two people with that sort of dance, you think that's gonna go well? You think that's gonna speak value into each other? You think that's gonna communicate love to the other person? The answer is yes. Not looking to your own interests only, but each of you to the interests of the others. What would, go, what would happen in your marriage if you went home and said, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna make the focus the interests of my husband. I'm gonna make the focus the interests of my wife. Your marriage would take off. 
See, nothing kills a marriage faster than selfishness. Humility destroys selfishness. Does that make sense? So you have to connect with the way I talked about earlier, and then you also have to practice this thing called humility. Let me give you the third one. You gotta be patient. You gotta be humble, but you also have to be patient. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four. Again, again, this is not a marriage verse. This is a relationship verse. Always be humble. We just talked about that. And gentle. And here's what I want you to do. Be, say it with me, patient. With who? With one another. Not inside of marriage only. This is a relationship deal. This is one to another in the workplace with brothers and sisters, with anybody who's in your life. Be patient, patient with one another. Well, what does it mean to be patient? I love what Paul says in the New Living Translation in the next phrase. Watch this. Making allowance for each other's, what? Anybody have any faults? <laughs> Making allowance for each What does it mean to be patient? It means I'm going to make allowance for your faults. I struggle to make the bed. I really do. I don't understand why it needs to be made. I've never really made my bed. Didn't make my bed when I was a kid. Didn't make my bed in college. Got in trouble for it at Liberty. Threatened me with demerits. Still didn't make my bed. My wife would love for me, to, for me to make the bed. My answer to her is, honey, <laughs> we're getting back in it in a few hours. <laughs> what is the point? For her, it has to do with the feel of the room, and which I, I guess I'm starting to learn that. I have faults. That's just a really small one. Make, I don't make the bed, right? My wife's either going to make allowance for my faults, or she's going to get annoyed with my faults. And then they add up. Well, how come you don't, how come you, how come you can't fix the dishwasher? I don't know how. I, I, I don't know. How come you can't, you know, fix the weed whacker when it breaks? I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm inept. I don't know. I don't know how the weed whacker works. I don't know. How come you can't be more like my dad? Now, she never said that. But you know the feeling. Because my father-in-law is like, super fix it, dude. Like, there's nothing he can't fix or make or create. Are you here, Dad? I don't maybe he's here. I'm not sure if he's here. He's here maybe in the first service. Some of you know Jim. I'm not like Jim. See? I can't fix anything. Maybe a light bulb. That's about it. Well, she's either going to make allowance for my faults or she's going to get annoyed with my faults. And she has her set of faults, too. I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a throw Jackie under the bus moment here, but let me just tell you a few of her faults. I mean, you all see her, she's all pretty when she comes into church and everything, she, but she doesn't pick up her hair out of the shower. No, sir, no, sir. I mean, that hair just, it just comes and comes. It's like a never-ending source of hair and it, it, it piles up and I look at it and I'm like, that is, that is nasty hair. You know, can't you just wipe it up? Just, just wipe it up. Just, just grab a, just wipe that up. Just get it out of there. You know? And then she does the deal with her shoes. She takes her shoes off. She just leaves them right there, like right there. It's like, and then she got a pair of different pairs here, different pairs there. Just pick them up. Just, just pick the shoes up. Just put the shoes away. Just put the shoes away. Right the closet's right over there. Five feet, five feet. And you know, you know your spouse. They got all these things they do and the toothpaste cap. You can't put the tooth, you can't put the toothpaste, you can't put it back on. Just do, 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 do. And then, and then the list grows. And because you don't make allowance for your spouse's faults, now you don't like them. 
Like you, when you look at him, you're like, <clears throat> it's real. How do I know it's real? Because I help try to help people through this stuff. I, I got my own marriage to deal with. I have to make a choice to make allowance for Jackie's faults, and she's got to make a choice to make allowance for my. Now, I'm not suggesting that you make allowance for like out of bounds stuff. You know, like your husband has this porn addiction. It's like, well, honey, I'm just going to make allowance for you. You can go over in that corner and just look at your porn. Just right over here. <laughs> Do you need an iPad, honey? Here's a little porn. Let me, let me pull it up for you. P-O-R-N. Here, have it. You know, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking. <laughs> I'm not talking about things that are out of bounds or sinful, okay? Some things cannot be tolerated. Let's get serious for a moment. Some things should not be tolerated inside of a marriage. Any type of abuse. Physical, sexual, emotional. I'm not talking about making allowance for those types of faults. I'm talking about the small stuff that can accumulate and end up causing you not to, not to like your spouse. I love what Willie George said. He's a pastor who was transitioning his church. He was the founding pastor. He was transitioning his church, handing it off to his son. And that can be real complicated. We went through that years ago, and I wasn't the son of, of the senior pastor. But I was on staff here, and it was very difficult. And so they were on this podcast and they were talking about the relationship difficulties of transitioning a church. And Willie George made this incredible statement and it's gold. If you always express your mind about everything that bothers you, you won't get along with anyone. Now, I, the reason this hit me so hard is I've been through a pastoral transition. <laughs> I went through one, lived through one, ate, slept through one, right? And the temptation is to say, yeah, but and you didn't, and you said, and everything that bothers you, you tend to verbalize. And things just, just start to deteriorate. People get their feelings hurt. That's what people do in their marriage. If you always talk about the things that annoy you, you won't get along with your spouse ever. You have to be patient. Number four, you gotta be faithful. You'll be faithful. Have integrity in your marriage. Do not cheat. Be faithful to your spouse. Only have eyes for your spouse. Here's why this is so important. Because when one, step, one person steps out on the other person, it, trust is broken. And once trust is broken, it is incredibly difficult to repair. Is it possible? Yes, I've seen it done. But it takes forever to repair that trust. You're always looking over your shoulder and what's, who's he texting and who's he calling, who's she talking to, blah, 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 blah. When trust is broken, you don't have a foundation to build a good marriage on. You have to be faithful. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6. Father to a son, but, but the man who commits adultery, it could be a woman, is an utter fool. Not just a fool, an utter fool, a complete fool. This person doesn't understand that they destroy their whole life. They destroy themselves. Everything that they hold dear, their family structure, their relationship with their kids, their relationship with this person they said they would love, the one they said till death do us part. They, they run the risk of ruining everything in their life, their reputation, their character. Be faithful. Stay committed to what you said you would do in your vows. And some of you are like, well, I did that. I'm good. I've never cheated. Okay. I mean, that's something. I can say that. But what about on the inside? What about at the heart level? Are you faithful there? Am I faithful there? Listen to what Jesus said. But I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery 
with her. Where? In a bedroom? No. In a hotel room? No. At her house? No. At your house? No. Where? In the heart. See, adultery begins in the heart. Cheating begins in the heart. Jesus is concerned about our thoughts, which is why pornography is so detrimental to your heart and to your marriage. You're looking at somebody who's not your spouse. He's concerned about our mind. He's concerned about what we desire in our soul. Michael Cass said four weeks ago when he was here giving the talk, he said, what's inside always comes out. That's what Jesus is concerned about. Adultery begins in the heart. And if you're not faithful with your eyes and your mind and your thoughts, eventually that adultery will turn into a reality. Be faithful. Do everything that you can do to guard your heart and your mind and your thoughts. Have integrity in the, on the inside and you will have integrity on the outside. Here's in your notes, I wrote it like this. Outwardly, we can remain in the bounds or in lines, but inwardly, we can be living way out of bounds. Don't let that happen to you. Work with all of your effort to be faithful on the inside, not just the outside. Good? Cool? Let's talk about this fourth one. So number one, what do we say? Connect, you gotta connect. Number two, you gotta be humble. Number three, you gotta be patient. Number four, be faithful. Number five, be loving. Be a loving spouse. Be a loving person if you're single. Practice being the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Practice being the person that the person you're looking for is looking for. Be a loving person. What does that mean? Does it mean you have strong feelings for somebody? Could, might not. Because love is less a feeling, it's more of an action, isn't it? Love is a decision to do what is best for somebody else. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter five. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. The word walk means to live, practice. And the, love is a path, love is a way, love is a lifestyle. It's not, it's not an emotion. See, it was an emotion back in middle school. Do you remember middle school? I just, I feel warm when I'm around her. <laughs> I, feel, I feel different when I'm around him, you know? He's so cute, she's so pretty, whatever. She smells good, I must be in love, come on, come on. And we take that into high school and we're breaking up with people because we don't feel it anymore, I'm not feeling it. Listen, I talk to people who've been married 20 years and there was what they say to me, I've fallen out of love with him. You did, you fell out? What you really mean is you decided not to do what is best for him. You thought love was an emotion. You thought love was a feeling. Now, I'm not going to deny there's feelings involved with love. But biblically, love is doing what is best for somebody. Watch this. Here's what Jesus did for us. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, were there feelings involved in Jesus' sacrifice for us on the cross? Yeah, there were feelings involved. But what did we need most? What we needed most was grace and forgiveness, right? We needed God to forgive us and wash us of our sin. We needed someone to pay the penalty for sin for us because we couldn't pay that penalty in ourselves. And so what does Jesus do? In his love, he comes and he offers himself on the cross and sacrifices himself for us and pays the penalty for us so that we can be reunited with the Father, so that we can have our sins forgiven. Jesus loved us by doing what was best for us. That's what biblical love is. And so the charge to husbands and wives is to do what's best for their spouse. 
Last year, I didn't realize what was best for me was to go on a trip to Mexico for my 40th birthday. I didn't even know it until I went. <laughs> what my wife did is she sat back and thought, you know, Danny's turning 40 and what does he love to do? And what's, his, you know, what would, what's best for him? And, and she said, I know, what he, let's put together a little trip that would include all his favorite things. You know, being alone with me, you know, that's marital duty. That's the first, first Corinthians 7, 3. What I love, that's great. So we're going to be alone together. No kids. If you take the kids, it's what? It's a trip. Come on, all together. It's a trip if you take the kids. It's a vacation if you leave them home. Just clarify that. So, so we went there to Mexico. And then we had lots of coffee. We had lots of books. Read some great books. Lots of conversations. It was everything that I could have wanted for my 40th birthday. On top of that, she threw me a party with all my friends. It's really cool. <laughs> my wife was awesome. Here's what she did. She sat back and said, what would be best for him? And so now she's turning 40 this year and the pressure's on me. I don't know what to do. Send me an email. Okay, okay, okay. No, but what we do is we don't send each other to different countries every other month. What we do is on a practical level is just simply ask this question, what would be best for my spouse? today well it depends is she is she discouraged she's stressed is she worried maybe she just needs a hug maybe she needs an encouraging word maybe she just needs me to listen I'm gonna go do that maybe she needs me just to be you know with her helping with the house with the kids she's feeling overwhelmed what's best for her serve clean the kitchen that's love that's what love is that's why I'm, I'm saying to you, biblical love is, a, I, don't, I don't feel like cleaning the kitchen. I never feel like cleaning. Anybody else with me? I don't feel it. I'm not feeling it, but I do it. Why do I do it? Why do I clean that kitchen up? Put those dishes in the dishwasher and wipe all that stuff down and empty the sink out? Because I know it's what's best for my wife. It eases her load. Does that make sense, guys? Ladies, does that make sense? Love is saying, what is best for my spouse? I love what uh, Gary Chapman said, <clears throat> and, and I'll wrap up with this. He said, look, your marriage is not, it's not ever going to stay the same. How did he say it? He said, your marriage is either getting better or worse. It's not staying the same. What have I given you today? I've given you five principles. Be loving, be faithful, be patient, be humble, and connect emotionally. If you would take one of these, two of these, and begin implementing them into your marriage, you're going to see growth. You're going to see the marriage get better. It's not staying the same. Some of you treat your marriage just like you do your car. You just drive it until it breaks down, and you take it back to the guy, and you say, give me a new one. Remember, the divorce rate's 50-50, right? 50%. What if you cultivated that thing? What if you did the oil change? What if you got the tires rotated? What if you took care of it? What if you cleaned it up? What if you shined it up? What would happen? I mean, you'd have a great experience. And that thing would last and last and last. It'd go 200,000 miles, 250,000 miles, right? Well, why would it be any different with our marriage? It's not. So I'm committed to cultivate that thing and, 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 and wherever the needs are, you know, if, if, if there needs to be a little bit more humility, I'm going to do some of that. If there needs to be a little bit more love, I'm going to do some of that. If there needs to be a little bit more connecting, I'm going to do some of that. Let me ask you a question today as we wrap up. What does your marriage need? And if you're single, what does your relationship need? With your parents, with your brothers, with your siblings? With, with, like, does it need more love? 
Does it need more humility? Does it need more service? What, what, what does your marriage need? Don't come here and say, man, that was, a, you know, okay, I laughed a little bit. It's good, good music, and I'm just going to go back to life. Don't, don't do that. Take what you heard today, pick one or two of these concepts, and begin applying it to your marriage or your relationship today. That's how you see growth in your life. It's not information that changes us. It's application of the information that changes us. You understand me? You know what I'm talking about? You have to take this stuff and work it into your life. And that's what Jackie and I are committed to do. We're leading the way. We don't have a perfect marriage, right? I messed up Friday night. <laughs> I had to sit, humble myself and say sorry. And that's just a constant, you know, thing of tending and taking care of and cultivating. But our, our commitment is to lead the way for you and try to, try to show you what a Christ-centered marriage looks like by example and through some teaching. Was this a blessing today? Was that helpful? Awesome, guys. Let me close. Let me close by just sharing a little bit about the, the relationship, the most important relationship that any of us need to be in, and that's in a relationship with Christ. You know, I showed you a verse earlier in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 2. It says, follow God's example and live a life or a life in the path of love. What path is that? Just as Christ loved us and gave. He gave himself, he, he laid his life down on a cross. One time Jesus said, there's, there's no greater love than for a person to lay down his life for his friends. Like God revealed his love for you by dying for you on the cross so that you could experience abundant life, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, grace and mercy and hope and peace and meaning. He did that because he loved you. Have you received the gift of grace? Have you stepped into that love? Have you become a child of God? I hope that you have. If you haven't, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to, I'm not, God is. God's gonna say, he's gonna invite you and say, trust me. Put your faith in Christ today. I'm not asking you to join a religion or join a church or do anything like that. I'm asking you to step into my love. I gave myself up for you as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It's a free gift, but it was very expensive. It cost me my life, he would say to you. Will you step into that grace today? I'm gonna say a simple prayer. Take these words, make them your own and trust Christ today. Pray with me online at all of our campuses. If this moment is yours, take these words and make them yours. Say, Jesus, I trust you today. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for taking the penalty for my sin. Today, right now, I choose to trust you as my savior. I place my faith in you, my confidence in you. You're the one. You did what was best for me. Today, I receive your love. I receive your grace and your mercy. Forgive me. Wash me of all my sin and make me your child. Thank you for your love. And from this day forward, teach me to follow to walk in your ways, to live a life of love, to be kind and patient, to be humble, to be loving, to be faithful to the people in my life. Help me to please you. It's in Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. And all God's people celebrated. Come on, guys. Amen. Online, all of our campuses. It's one of the best things. The Bible says when one person puts their faith in God, there is rejoicing in heaven, right? The angels are saying, hey, if you just prayed to receive Christ, whether it's online, one of our campuses, we want to put a Bible in your hands. They're at the back of the auditorium. If you're watching online and you prayed to receive Christ, there's a box there you can check. Check that box, fill out your address, and we will send one of these to you in the mail. It's a new believer's Bible just to get you started in your new relationship with Christ. Can we give God a hand one more time, guys? Amen. Don't you love what he's doing here? Amen. So good to be back with you. At this time, what I'm going to do is hand things off to our campus pastors, and they have a, a very short announcement for you guys. God bless you. I love you.